0: Well, we're going to do today uh, the third sermon in our sermon series entitled, Do You Want to Be a Disciple? The first sermon dealt with the question, Am I invited to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? And the answer to that question was absolutely unequivocally and very positively, yes, we have all received that Invitation. The second sermon that Carl graciously gave, because I was all medically tested out, dealt with the question of how do I become a disciple? And the answer was to live in the Spirit of Jesus. Melanie gave a wonderful sermon last week about joy, which certainly comes from being a disciple. Today's sermon will deal with the question. Can I make a difference as a disciple of Jesus Christ? In verse 13 of our second scriptural passage, Jesus tells his disciples that they were the salt of the earth. We probably first heard those words when we were children. We learned them from our parents who were describing people that they knew. They were the stable, dependable, moral, solid people who had as much concern for others as they had for themselves. Those words are used in the practice of law, believe it or not, to describe to a jury such as a client or a witness as being uh, the salt of the earth kind of person. We then set out to prove that they are in fact honest, down to earth, without pretenses, open, open warm, humble people. If the world were full of these types of people, the police would be bored. The businesses would cut off their collection agencies. The IRS wouldn't need any more audits. And the news media would only have good news to broadcast. Now, we can understand what being called salt is in our time. But we may need some clarification of what it meant when Jesus called his disciples salt of the earth. To do that, we must go back to the time of the ministry of Jesus and even much further into antiquity. Salt has been used as a food preservative for ages. The concept is, is that it draws water out of food And all living things require water and cannot grow in the absence of water, including bacteria. Now, I have to admit, when I was preparing for this sermon, I really didn't know how salting of food worked or meant. I've heard about it, but I never meant. So I had to study up on it, and now you're going to have to listen to it. More specifically, the preservation of food such as meat, fish, or vegetables with salt granules is known as curing. For an example, applying salt to the outside of a cut of meat and storing it for several weeks. When salt is used in this way, the mineral not only preserves the food, but it prevents bacteria from growing, including foodborne bugs such as salmonella. It most often works through dehydration, removing many of the water molecules and bacteria that need water to live and grow. In essence, the salt around the outside of the food draws the water molecules out and replaces them with salt molecules. Now you know. Now you know what salting food means. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. He didn't say, you don't have to salt. You don't have to spread salt. You don't have to share salt. You don't have to buy salt. You don't acquire salt. He said, you are the salt of the earth. What did he mean by calling his disciples by that description? Well, given that salt was widely known and used as a preservative, we can assume that he was telling his disciples that they were to preserve something. What was that something? Well, I believe Jesus was telling them to preserve the meaning and the teachings and his life. The meaning and teachings of his ministry and his life. More specifically, he was calling his disciples to preserve what theologian Marcus Borg says is the meaning of Jesus. Jesus is the decisive revelation of what God looks like in human form. Radically centered in God and filled with the Holy Spirit. He is the decisive disclosure of the manifestation of what can be seen in God in human life. As the word and wisdom of God became human flesh, his life incarnates the character of God. Indeed, the passion of God. We can see in Jesus God's passion. That's quite a concept. So how do we preserve that concept of Jesus as the disciples of Jesus? We do it by seeking to be people in which God can be revealed through the living of our lives. Not just here on Sunday, but every minute of every second of every hour of every day of our lives. We radically center our lives in God. And become filled with the Holy Spirit. We seek to be what can be seen of God in human life. Through us, you and me, people can see not only our passion for God, but God's passion. So how the heck do we do that? In the book of Matthew, right after he gives the labels to his disciples of being salt of the earth and the light of the world, Jesus tells us exactly how to do that in what is called the Sermon on the Mount that appears at Matthew chapters 5 through 7. He tells us how we are to live our lives so that we are in fact salt of the earth and light of the world. Now, I'm not going to go over all those instructions contained in that sermon because to do so, would it take take about five to six sermons? Unless you want to stay here for five or six hours, then I'll be happy to go through all the instructions. I'm only going to briefly talk about four of them. Jesus begins by saying that that murder has always been a sin. But he goes on to say that being angry with someone or insulting someone is also a sin. We are to reconcile with the people we are angry with or have insulted before we can even worship God. The reconciliation is that important. Here's one of the really rattle, radical instructions. And remember, we are called to, as disciples to be radically centered in God. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This statement was just as radical at the time of Jesus as it is here today. Much, a much more famous instruction is, we're not to worry. We're not to worry. Jesus asked the question, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your span of life? And the answer, of course, is nope. And perhaps the most famous instruction, in everything do to others as you would have them do unto you. That's very simple to say and very difficult to live. Now, there are many, many more instructions, and I'm not going to go through, as I said, all of them. But what I strongly suggest that all of us do is take that Sermon on the Mount, which appears again at Matthew chapters 5 through 7, and study it, emulate it, really get your heart and soul into it. And then if we were to attempt to live those instructions, we would begin to emulate Jesus in all that we do. We would become spirit-filled and become a revelation of what God intends each of us to do and to become. We would become salt of the earth disciples of Jesus. We're now going to move from salt to light. In chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus tells his disciples, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid, nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It may well be said that this is the greatest compliment that can ever be given to the individual Christian. For in it, Jesus commands the Christian to be what he himself claimed to be. Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When Jesus commanded his disciples to be the light of the world, he demanded nothing less than they should be like himself. True. Disciples. When Jesus spoke these words, he was using an ancient Jewish saying. They spoke of Jerusalem as a light to the Gentiles. But the way the Jews used this saying will give us a key to the way Jesus also used it. One thing the Jews were very sure about. No person kindled their own light. Jerusalem was indeed the light to Gentiles, but to quote an old Hebrew phrase, God lit Israel's lamp. The light with which the nation or the person of God shone was a borrowed light. It must be so with the disciple. It is not the demand of Jesus that we should produce our own light. We must shine with the reflection of God's light. The radiance which shines from the disciple comes from the presence of Christ within the heart and soul of the disciple. We often speak about a bride being radiantly beautiful. But the radiance which shines from her comes from the love which has been born within her heart. And it is the same with the disciple and the love of God I'd like to talk about three qualities of the light that Jesus is talking about A light is first and foremost something which is me- meant to be seen The houses in Palestine were very small and very dark When the lamp was the lamp was a bowl with oil in it and had the wick floating on top you may have seen ones like that It was not easy to rekindle a lamp in the days before matches existed. Normally, the lamp stood on the table, which would be no more than a roughly shaped branch or a small little piece of bark. But people had to leave their homes, and for safety's sake, they took the lamp from its stand and put it under an earthen container so that it might burn without risk until the people returned. The primary duty of the lamp was to be seen. So then, discipleship is meant to be seen. As theologian William Barclay stated, there can be no such thing as secret discipleship. For either the secrecy destroys the discipleship or the discipleship destroys the secrecy. A person's discipleship should be perfectly visible to all. Further, discipleship should not be visible only within the church. A disciple whose effect stops at the church door is not much use to anyone. It should be even more visible in the ordinary activities of the world. Our discipleship of Jesus should be visible in the way we treat a shop clerk across the counter. In the way we order a meal in a restaurant. In the way we treat our employees or serve our employer. In the way we play a game or drive or park a car. In the daily language we use. In the daily literature we read. Our discipleship should be just as much a presence in the factory, the workshop, the shipyard, the mine, schoolroom, surgery, kitchen, the courthouse, the golf course, and the playing field as it is in the church. Jesus did not say, you are the light of the church. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. And in a person's life, in the world, their discipleship should be evident to all. Number two, a light is a guide. At a river mount, We may see the line of lights which marks the channel for ships to safely go into the river. We know how difficult it is even in the city streets when there are no lights. I've spent a major part of my childhood and, well, even up until today, looking for lighthouses. They were very important to those of us that were on the sea, and they marked where we could safely go. So then... A disciple must make the way clear for others because a light is something that clears the way, shows you the way. That is to say, a disciple of Jesus must of necessity be an example. One of the things which this world today needs more than anything else is people who are prepared to be the focus of doing the right thing. Suppose there is a group of people, and suppose it is suggested that they do something that's kind of questionable. Unless someone makes their protest, the thing that is questionable will actually be done. But if someone rises up and says, I will not be a party to that, another and another And another will rise and say, neither will I. But had they not been given the lead, they would have remained silent. There are many people in this world who do not have the courage or the desire to make a stand by themselves. But if someone gives them a lead, they will follow. If they have someone strong enough to lean on, they will do the right thing. It is the disciples' duty to take the stand which more reluctant will then support. To give the lead which others will follow. The world so desperately needs its guiding lights. There are people waiting and longing for a lead to make a stand and to do the right thing which they do not dare to do by themselves. A light can often be a warning light. A light is often the warning which tells us to halt. There is danger ahead. It is sometimes the disciples' duty to bring the necessary warning. That is often difficult. And it is often hard to do because the way in which the warning is given may do more harm than good. But one of the most poignant tragedies in life is for someone, especially a young person, To come to us and say, I never would have been in the situation in which I now found myself if you had only spoken in time. It is said that if a good teacher ever had occasion to rebuke a student, she or he would do it with her arm around them. If our warnings are given not in anger, not in irritation, not in criticism, not in condemnation, But in the desire to love, they will be effective. And number four, Jesus concluded the introduction to his Sermon on the Mount with the words, Let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our good deeds ought not to draw attention to ourselves, but to God. Disciples of Jesus never think of what they have done, but what God has enabled them to do. They never draw the eyes of people to themselves, but always to direct, to direct them to God. So long as people are thinking of the praise, the thanks, the prestige, which they will get for what they have done, they will not really have even begun on the path to discipleship. The light which can be seen, the light which warns, the light which guides, and the light which reflects the glory of God, these are the lights which the disciples of Jesus must put forth to be the light of the world. So once again, Coming full circle in this sermon. Can each one of us make a difference as a disciple of Jesus? I hope the answer is really clear. Yes. Yes, we can. Absolutely, positively, and unequivocally, we can. We can carry the message and the meaning of the life of Jesus to others. Not just with our words, but by the way we live our lives. And the same is true with the light of God. We can reflect out the light of God. Once again, not only through our words, but in every aspect of our lives. What an opportunity. What a responsibility. What an ability to live and share the love of God and the meaning and the message of Jesus. Let's all start right now, today. Amen.